What's up? How you doing? Joe, so good to uh, connect. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, yeah. I think we've uh, crossed paths online quite a bit. I don't think we ever actually officially, officially uh, met, so it's good to, good to finally meet you. So yeah, It's a big honor. You've done so many great things in your career, and now the crowning achievement over Eiley authorship. Data engineering is amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've been a big fan of you and, and the oh, podcast and all the work you've done in your career. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, I remember um, your podcast back in the day too. You'd interview some really awesome people. So uh, we can talk more about that in a bit. But I, I guess for the audience who uh, doesn't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Sure. Hi, audience. Uh, my name is Ari Kaplan, and now I am the global head of evangelism at Databricks. We're like one of the leading data and AI companies, but I had like a whole career in data and AI probably most known for having created and led the Chicago Cubs uh, analytics department um, and also had leadership roles with, with like the Dodgers, with the Baltimore Orioles and traveled the world uh, a couple of years with Formula One and McLaren with their race strategy, trying to apply machine learning and data science for a super fast paced uh, use case, if you could imagine that. No pun intended. Uh, exactly. <laughs> And yeah, I guess the only, like the other major thing was having been at one point uh, the president of the Worldwide Oracle User Group. And that was at a time that we acquired Java and PeopleSoft and MySQL. So uh, yeah, as, so the experience is great in that, you know, every four or five years, there's some quantum leap in technology and digital transformation. And uh, I lived through one of them, like with the Oracle and the database revolution, and now living through, uh, uh, you know, Gen AI, and even before that, Lakehouse. So that that's a little bit about me. Interesting. So uh, let's rewind a bit, because I think your past might inform the the kind of the present and the future of of uh, kind of the discussion we'll talk about. But the um, you've done a lot of stuff, <laughs> so. <laughs> What was your fascination with Oracle back in the day? Why, how did you become the president of the Worldwide Users Group? And, and, and what about was that? Yeah, so that was an elected position. So I had to be voted in. And that was uh, like around nine, or around 2003 to 2008. But I was on the board of directors uh, doing other various roles uh, for about eight years before that. So, you know, helping organize uh, global conferences was a big one. And then interfacing, I think the, the big thing was interfacing with Oracle as a corporation. So this was like the user group, developer, you know, community, independent of the company of itself. And at one point, you know, Oracle had their own directive, their own conference, which they still have open world. So one of the, I think the biggest transformation was convincing and showing Oracle that it's actually better to have one that's independent, that could speak their mind, that could, uh, you know, ask, you know, hard hitting questions. And um, Charles Phillips was president at the time. He was a visionary with them and he, he and I gelled pretty well. And, you know, before, you know, every time there's a new Oracle customer, they would get like a flyer in the mail saying, join the user group, um, you know, share your experiences, be part of the community. And then, yeah, got a column in Oracle Magazine, which was wild. It went to 800,000 people in print. They used to, people used to be big on print back in those days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and also learning about collaboration and like huge partner ecosystem, hundreds and hundreds of companies that were partners with Oracle. Like how does it all fit together so there's a better together story? That's really interesting. Around that time, walk me through this. Were there a lot of other companies doing community efforts like this? Because it seems like the user group thing was sort of nascent back in the day. Um, but conferences back then, I think, were pretty big, uh, from what I recall. Yeah, the, it, it was a it was a great time in that like SAP ran their own user group, uh, Oracle ran their own user group, Teradata ran their own user group. So yeah, it was nascent in that there were uh, you know, collection, they would have local meetups, uh, local SAP in Chicago, local SAP in Provo, uh, but not really like an umbrella of, of collecting every user group together around the world. So mm -hmm. that was something that 
uh, in the Oracle user group. I, I'm sure there are others, but that was like one of like the formation of that that groundswell. That's interesting. And I guess tying this back to your current role at uh, Databricks, like how something I've been trying to unpack really is how do you get people excited about technology? How do you get people excited about um, trends and, and sort of the, uh, the the agenda of a company, but not in a way that is, you know, kind of overly um, pushy or salesy? It seems like there's a balancing act there. Exactly. So that's, uh, you know, the the when I said the word evangelist, maybe not all the listeners have heard that phrase before. It's like an up and coming trend, you know, Microsoft evangelist. IBM evangelist and you know, with myself, Databricks evangelist, it's somebody that is trying to build awareness and build brand of your company, something that uh, you're trying to bring on that reputation that it's a you know likable company, that we're innovative, that, you know, what you call future proof. If you work with that company, they have the, the right leadership in place to kind of adapt. Like Gen AI came into play, not even or maybe about a year and a month ago. So like which companies are going to adapt to that to help me in my company? Um, in Databricks case, we acquired Mosaic ML for mm -hmm. $1.3 which uh, helps make Gen AI super easy. So like that's one example. But yeah, it, it's, all, um, uh, uh, it, it's all in how you position it. And speaking of evangelist roles, so there's something that we kind of sprung out of, which was a field CTO. And a field mm. CTO is one step more in the sales organization where you speak at conferences, yes, like an evangelist does, but they are more like half a day, one or two day workshop management consulting. And for myself, it's more, you know, going on your podcast or speaking at an event yeah. and just speaking more general, like uh, uh, in our case, Lake House. It's yep. a, something Databricks created, but in reality, it's an entire marketplace with many companies doing it. In fact, 71% of all Fortune 500 companies have a lake house of one type or another. Interesting. Um, so it's talking about like what, what is it trying to explain what you could do with something and not be like salesy. If I do talk about Databricks, it's more about like examples of customers that have succeeded or examples even of where they've hit their head and are having challenges, but I'm not a salesperson. I don't uh, <laughs> uh, give uh, you know, you're not going to get a sales order from me afterwards. And I like to be honest, open. I like to talk about yeah. like just future technology um, and now data intelligence. Some, something I think we'll talk about yeah. today is, is like the up and coming market, but I like to talk like in general, like what, what is the value you get from this realm of technology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like that's what people want to hear too. Because I mean, Lord knows, like even my poor inbox gets bombarded with sales <laughs> messages all the time, and I don't even really run a company anymore, so it's, <laughs> but I still get it spammed all the time. And it's just I know the sales cycle; it is what it is. You know, I mean, you know, it's just got to make money. So it, it's, but evangelism is an interesting thing. I, I um, before getting to sort of the the, the future of, of data intelligence and whatnot in that topic, I. I want to just get your understanding of or opinion on sort of where does evangelism intersect with the realm of DevRel? Yeah, so we also have uh, you know great folks um, in, in DevRel, Denny Lee, Brooke. Yeah, he's um, cool. Yeah, they're awesome. So they're like, uh, you know, first of all, I encourage every single person in the company to be an evangelist of some sort. I want as many people speaking at events globally. I want as many people writing blogs, as many people um, you know, going on other podcasts and doing webinars. But yeah, I, I would say DevRel is like focused on the persona of uh, you know the people that are hands on the keyboard, uh, making it exciting, uh, helping out with workshops. And I do I do host uh, workshops as well. But I think mine is more um, like the. I don't know if you call it the executive level or the branding level, uh, engaging with, you know, for example, engaging with uh, analyst firms like Gartner, mm. Forrester, IDC, engaging with the media. Um, like I was actually interestingly on the Marquee Network, which is a sports network. So in Chicago, people could be drinking beers and hearing about Databricks. That, that, that was fun. 
Um, so just like trying to like expand our reach to people who either haven't heard of us at all or like, hey, I heard Databricks, your CEO is on Mad Money, Jim um, mm. Kramer, like what, what's it all about? What's the next level? So it's, mine's maybe more of an, a, a teacher inspirational level and DevRel is like, let's roll up the sleeves and 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 follow along with me and we code together. Got it. That's a good distinction. Yeah, switching gears then, I guess, you know, um, data intelligence is a big topic. Um, I think something of very uh, uh, big interest to you. Uh, what, what, what does data intelligence mean to you? Yeah, so data intelligence is, well, hopefully it will become a, 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 a the next market, the next thing in modern data stack. And this is something that is really, really, really exciting for me and, and, and something I, I'm a believer in. So, you know, my whole career, your whole career, you know, data are like just representations of numbers and characters. Uh, but, uh, you know, to get insights from it, it's been traditionally like data warehousey, like what happened in the past? What's the list of sales that we've done? Um, and then introduce the data lake, uh, which is unstructured data, PDFs, mm -hmm. uh, videos, stuff like that, and very incompatible systems. That, that, so the lake house came about, which is the step on the way to data intelligence. The lake house is the underlying infrastructure that makes sure you have good data. And mm -hmm. good data is needed, unified data, to make this intelligence from it. So the lake house, one umbrella to manage your structured, unstructured streaming data, govern it all. And um, about a month ago, Databricks, we, we had a, a lot of fun discussion internally on what to call it, but the best thing is data intelligence. Your data yeah. is not just numbers that are in a math formula. There, like with the introduction of Gen AI, there is the ability to like have AI help you make sense of all of your data assets. So like, let me give an example. You have uh, like a company, they have 5,000 tables, uh, 500,000 columns in it. Most of the data is sitting there unaccessed since people don't know what the heck they have. They don't know what different columns mean. They don't know what columns and what tables join each other. And you need to have a human go through hundreds of thousands of columns and somehow tag it in some meta store. So data intelligence is like the automation. You just point, in our case, Databricks or whatever your data intelligence platform is, and it will understand this is a field about uh, wind turbines. And, you know, the wind turbines are like in the United States only. And, you know, like, and it gets information. So whether you're a technical person, you can more easily find and discover like what tables, what columns, where your data is, what unstructured videos contain videos of wind turbines. Um, and if you're a non-technical person, you could start asking questions or whether it's Tableau, Power BI, or from your own notebooks, just say, you know, which wind turbines have, um, you know, are out of spec or likely to fault. That's what data intelligence is. It helps companies understand, find, govern, uh, query their their data like more intelligently, and 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 that's the whole idea behind democratization. If you can get uh, five times as many people in your company using your data, you know your data is arguably your biz biggest asset in many companies. It is, then that adds ton of value. Mm -hmm. so I love that phrase, data intelligence. It makes a lot of sense. And it definitely speaks to the reality, too. I think of a lot of businesses. I mean, uh, um, even Bill Inman, he's, he's a huge fan of the uh, Lake House thing. He wrote like almost three books on it now. <laughs> so I think he likes yeah. the topic a lot. But I mean, he obviously came up with the uh, data warehouse. But I, I think even back in the 90s, he, he realized, I think he, yeah, it was kind of funny talking to him because he got bored with it and he kind of moved on. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, but he uh, realized that all the, uh, the actual data the company's text back then. Now it's much, much more. But even then, it was a recognition that if you're going to get insights and sort of unify a lot of uh, the corporate data sets um, to the maybe the conversations and the um, unstructured data, you know, that's you know, it's you got you got to make a, a big leap, right? But so it, it seemed like the unification of uh, you know structured and unstructured data was something that people were 
um, like him were thinking about even at back in the nineties, but it took a long time to get here. And I, and it, from my perspective, it still feels like we're still stuck in the data warehouse centric world. Um, how do we move beyond that? Um, I mean, cause I think technologically we, we've been there for a while. Mentally, it seems like we're still struggling with a lot of the same things like BIA and reporting when, as you point out, uh, there's a ton of opportunity to take advantage of uh, a lot of these structured and unstructured assets and unify them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, the opportunity is huge and, you know, every forward looking company should be on a lake house, should be on something that has that unified ability to see structured, unstructured, and semi-structured and streaming data all in one platform. And like going, going back to old school, like when I would develop uh, predictive analytics for baseball players, for example, if you only use structured data, that data warehousing, yes, you would get answers. Yes, it would be predictive. But when we start to bring in unstructured data, like measuring their biomechanics, how do they swing mm. a bat? How do they throw a pitch? You could make better insights. Then when you add in scouting reports, which are text-based, which are like human sentiment, how a player might do above and beyond these capturable metrics, then, then you actually get even more uh, realistic predictions, predictions that are based on more data, the data has a different variety and informs differently, then you are going to make better predictions. So that's a baseball example, but in sales, you know, you can better uh, understand your supply chain, what is really causing issues or how can you better optimize it? How can you better resonate with your customers uh, in marketing and pricing better than just a traditional data warehouse? So mm -hmm. there's huge pool and uh, you know, almost three fourths of companies now have some lake house, but still to your point, a lot of companies are still stuck in uh, structured data world. And the other thing that's pulling the, the whole ecosystem forward is Gen AI came on the scene a little over a year ago. And now companies are rushing to at least understand what can I do with Gen AI? And that, mm. like, that's where you need that lake house architecture where you have structured and unstructured since the best Gen AI, uh, LLM is the most famous use case that's generally text-based, but there's Gen AI where you should be able to pull insights from PDFs, from Word docs, from Excel spreadsheets, um, you know, semi-structured uh, type of formats and get Gen AI or machine learning AI uh, insights from there. So the bottom line, if I were to like answer in one sentence is, you can get better insights on your business data if you have like just a more variety of types of data you're pulling from. It's just that's just the way machine learning works. Yeah, it certainly does. And it's something I've been struggling with, too, because it, it, it's it's one of these things where I feel like we're, we're just about there mm -hmm. in terms of unlocking, I think, a lot of potential and capabilities. Um, you know, with generative AI as well as classical methods, right? I mean, I, I think we're, I always joke that we're sort of in a classical machine learning winter right now, where uh, generative AI is, um, you know, taking the uh, the attention, but all these other methods are just sitting in a corner, kind of uh, whimpering. Um, but there's still a ton, ton of value, obviously. Um, but what, what do you think is are the necessary steps for a company to um, maybe lay the foundation for success uh, with generative AI? Yeah. So uh, you know. The foundation is making sure you have data that's you know good data, that's accessible, that's unified. Since if, if it's not unified, unified means you're all in one platform. So if you do, for example, a SQL query or write Python or R or Scala type of code, and you just want to say, you know, we're all like, you know, the, the parts to this product, it knows every source of data that you have and you don't have two vendors or three vendors or four vendors, you don't have, um, you know, like this data swamp is what, is what has been the term for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what's unified. And then you also want like one governance system. And what I mean by governance, yes, governance is access control, who has access to what data, but governance uh, is also a way to get like better uh, insights. You know, you call it transparency. You, uh, you call it lineage, what data and what versions of data from what sources are going along my 
data pipeline to make these traditional ML models or what's going behind my new generative AI LLMs. So lineage is, is super important. And all of that, you know, you really need that unified and governed uh, foundation underneath. Is there anything else? Um, I mean, why, why wouldn't a company just want to use ChatGPT and just like throw all their data into that and then call it a day? Like, uh, I mean, it seems like that'd be simple. <laughs> so, yeah, so but, but is that right? Yeah, so two two thoughts to that. One, you know, to your one is if you only are looking to do a chat bot, then yes, LLM is your answer. Um, there are tons of other use cases you can have with your data, um, but you know, LLMs, chatbots are great to get insights on your data in like a natural language. Um, they're also great for summarizing. You know, so for example, in a baseball case, working with a major league team, you know, we have ten scouting reports. Some of the insights are positive, some are negative. Just tell us what what is a consensus on a scale of one to ten. How how do you like this information? Or it could be a legal firm saying uh, a summarize a million different court cases in in Utah, and just tell me what are the precedents. So that's like summarization example of LLMs. Um, but to, to your point, you have a choice. You could use ChatGPT, or you could do what's called RAG, uh, like kind of tuning on LLMs that somebody already created, or like the Nirvana would be to be able to create your own LLMs based on your own company's data um, with your own privacy. So now maybe I'll run through quickly each of those three. Yeah, so using ChatGPT is, you know, is generalized. Um, uh, so that could be quick. It's the easiest out there, but it's not trained on your own data. So if you're looking at legal cases in Utah, it probably isn't trained on that. Um, so, you know, like you run the risk of it not getting all the insights you have. I, I believe, uh, I don't know the latest, but like the, the main one doesn't even have data from you know past the la uh, 2021. Then the next thing is RAG, where you're augmenting an existing LLM, you're saying, here's like some documents that I want you to put into the mix. Can you summarize these documents? And that's using an LLM like model that some other company developed. And it's easier. It's kind of right there. It's not that hard to do, but the accuracy is a little bit better since you are ingesting a little bit of your own data. Um, but you still in that scenario, don't want to give any private data. If you're a hospital, you can't give away, you can't put in either, either in the prompt or the documents you're feeding, uh, healthcare information that violates the HIPAA Act. And if you're a company that just has some proprietary or secret sauce, you don't want to do it. So the Nirvana, um, if that's your use case, is to create your own net new uh, model and that used to be super expensive, and, and now it's getting easier and easier, faster. Uh, Databricks, our acquisition of Mosaic ML, something I've personally had hands-on experience with, uh, makes it super easy. You can have, you know, for example, uh, a trillion records. One other reason I could have mentioned uh, with Lakehouse is we now scale to trillions of records. But when I worked at Oracle, we we're talking billions of records, which right. seemed like who would ever need more? But now it's trillions of records, sub-second response time. It's mind-boggling how technology has progressed. But you know, with building your own models, like an example I love giving, friends with Taylor Swift's agent, uh, he says, oh, never nice. ask me for tickets. But ChatGPT <laughs> is trained on Taylor Swift songs. But if you're an insurance company, you have no, it doesn't matter. So right. if you train it on your own data, it's more uh, like the results are more understanding of your lingo, your the words that you have, the documents that you're trained on. And it used to be, you know, you would cost millions of dollars to have a good model trained. And now, uh, you know, you're talking you know, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. Or if you do a lesser one, um, like we at Databricks crowdsourced our own and just compute costs was only $30 
to do a, a, a workable LLM that we open sourced and, and, and it's pretty decent. Yeah. But, you know, let's just say for sake of argument, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to make your own LLM versus um, what it used to be millions of dollars just a year ago. Mm -hmm. That's incredible progress. Oh, yeah. What are you seeing in terms of companies integrating um, generative AI into uh, their tabular corporate data sets? Um, and the reason I ask this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, um, it's pretty known. I'm writing a book on data modeling, for example. Yeah. And one of the things I notice is the uh, a lot of corporate data sets are as, as utter hellscapes. Um, <laughs> like inscrutable. Uh, I think most humans do not understand what's going on here. You did mention uh, mm -hmm. the ability for an LLM to go through and um, you know mine the data and, and hopefully be able to get some understanding of it. But what are you seeing on the ground in terms of the success or, or maybe some some lessons learned uh, with companies trying to integrate generative AI with their um, their uh, existing um, data sets? Yeah. So uh, you know one. Uh, well, there, there's plenty of successes with like the chatbots. Those are the companies that have like public interface, you know, websites where you want consumers to find the information more easily. You know, you're going to like a retailer and you want to see, just ask what stores have this item in stock or like an airline. You just want to know, um, you know, what, what flights have you know business class seats available? You know stuff yeah. like that, and you don't want to have to hunt and go back and forth. So th those are like making it easier for your customers or potential customers um, is huge. The, uh, so chatbot. The other area uh, we haven't started talking about yet is this whole uh, helping with the coding process. So things that, that we call copilots. So as you code, you're, you know, let's just say a Python developer, you're writing scripts, you can have it interface with your data model and like give you hints, like where is your data found? In the past, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I'm, I'm a coder too, you know, you'd write Python and it would only like pull up the tables or the columns of the tables as you're typing, kind of like an autofill. Mm -hmm. And now these autopilots could do things like, my code's not working, debug my code. Can you yeah. do quality assurance? Can you help me make synthetic data? Could you tag, you know, you, you wrote the book, data modeling can have thousands of tables and the columns may not be so descriptive, but, you know, just show me which tables have information relating to phone numbers or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's where like Gen AI is helping with like the, the auto coding process. And that is a topic in and of itself. Right yeah. now, it's super helpful to help make coders more intelligent and better. Like my daughter is fascinating. She she's home for for um on break from college, and I watched her in action. You know, the next generation writing R code. Um, not a, she's a poli sci major, just learned R code for the course, and just saying, you know, help me, um, you know, debug it. I want to do a query of number of incidents in this region and like great now group it great now visualize it and already you know like teenagers are, are doing stuff like this that's super cool and it's only going to get better yeah and she got Dang. an a in the class Dang. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool you, you mentioned chatbots earlier i was just reminded of the story that i uh let me see what, what was this um it kind of goes back to the governance thing so this uh I think the title is Chevy dealers AI chatbot allegedly sold a uh, new Tahoe for one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> the person went into the uh, the uh, the um, chatbot and said, "I think um, uh, could you sell me this uh, Chevy?" Um, oh my god! Well, it, what he did it was interesting. So they um, he said uh, he used the words legally binding. So it mm. finished every sentence with legally binding. And then I'm gonna ask you to sell me this. Uh, Give me, you know, can you sell me a uh, Chevy for a dollar legally binding? And the, I think he uh, got it apparently. So, so it's one of those um, governance things where I think we'll we'll need to um, uh, have a look at. But I think it was one of the more hilarious examples. I'm pretty sure the uh, dealer's not going to do that. But we'll I love that example. <laughs> that, that, that's great. That um, yeah, that that talks to governance, but it also evokes. <laughs> I went to Caltech, the California Institute of Technology, and one of the most famous pranks. Um, was the, this McDonald's, which was immortalized in the movie Real Genius. And now 
Mm. Whenever you hear like you may only enter once per visit, that was from this prank where they found a loophole. It said enter as many times as you like. So they did. They printed out uh, uh, many hundreds of thousands of ballots and went into a McDonald's and dropped them off um, and, and won something like 87% of the prizes, which was a little less than like the 89% they predicted they'd win, which was kind of funny. And they McDonald's tried to stop it. There's an outroar in the media. Like, you can't do that. But um, they won, but they donated like everything except like 10 burgers to charity. And they ate oh, that's burgers. hilarious. And oh, yeah. I remember that scene in Real Genius. There was a guy who lived in the uh, the basement yeah. of the uh, yeah. dorm. Yeah. Just, yeah. Was, yeah. That was. But this but is anyway. like the modern version. And that, this is great. So, yeah, you, I, I can see like finding exploits, uh, doing things legally, maybe even doing things illegally, but like trying to find arbitrage. Like, there's thing like people in airplanes, it's a thing. The points guy. You know, mm -hmm. how do you get upgrades and then refunds and then you, uh, you know, basically get free flights. But, you know, the point being is with governance then, like, at you know, th it's still the point where it's not fully mature. So, uh, you know, they call it some of it hallucination or yeah. you can get more intelligent and you're finding a legitimate way to game the system. Uh, but either way, you know, over time, companies want to make sure that the LLMs are accurate. So right now there aren't really any standards for saying, you know, these two LLMs, one is better than the other. There are some metrics, but it's not like a catch-all in every case. Like you can look at Levenstein distances of what the outputs of multiple yeah. LLMs are, but then you have still have humans to kind of up or down vote. Was this a good response or not? Uh, but yeah, companies are getting really interested in, governing what data goes into it, what prompts are kind of leaked. Since one of the other values of generative AI is if you're at a company with hundreds of developers or hundreds of business analysts and the, the platform recognizes some questions are being asked more than the others, then you know the responses could get mm -hmm. like prioritized for what the output is. And sometimes if you put in private information, you just don't want other people to even know what you're asking. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. So this whole governance of the LLMs, the, uh, like you worked at Big, Big Squid, I worked at Data Robot, ML Ops was a, you know, one of the newest things. How do you operationalize yep. machine learning? And now it's how do you operationalize general, you know, Gen AI and LLMs? So how do you determine who gets to promote this LLM or this traditional classical uh, AI model into production? When do you know if the data has changed enough, like this drift in data, that you want to recalibrate or re-index or even regenerate a new Gen AI or LLM? So that's this whole LLM. That's all part of governance. And that goes back to the point why you need some unified uh, underlying infrastructure to make it mm -hmm. easy to just make aware of what versions of what data you have uh, and, and when it's changed and, and make sense of it all. And so the main takeaway for the audience is if you're going to do anything, the Wild West is right now. If you want to uh, win sweepstakes and uh, get a Tahoe for $1, uh, <laughs> now's your chance. Um, so I'm joking. Um, but if you're going to do it. Now, if you want to start a million dollar <laughs> idea company, now's the time. <clears throat> And if you get a customer, then you can raise some venture money. It's kind of like dot com. Oh, it totally you know, it's is. real. You know, it's very real. But, um, you know, a lot of ideas are getting funded and a lot of them will be billion dollar companies. But, yeah, a lot of it is still hype. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at I'm starting a new education company, um, uh, media company, and that's generative value is going to play a, a very big role in this because, you know, but. But it's an interesting one because I'm trying to I'm trying to balance it against uh, an incident actually happened um, the other day with one of my friends um, and uh, strangely enough uh, via a uh, company that I also know and what happened was uh, this company was doing SEO they're using generative AI to make SEO articles mm -hmm. and they were cranking out thousands of these things and somehow uh, my friend had an article written about her <laughs> cool and, the, and it, but it was it was one of those things where it's like it was 
it was just super random, right? And and so I was thinking, okay, so SEO is an interesting one where if you're going to be generating content, you definitely need to be paying attention to what you're pushing because you know if you look at the article about my friend, it was none of it was really true for one. <laughs> and so um, and she and she only found it by accident. She's she searching her name and she's like, why? What is this? This is interesting. Um, and so it definitely highlights I think the, the need again, um, you know, for you know, responsible AI and, and governance and stuff and. and um, and it, it is the wild west though. I mean, things like this are going to happen. And the one thing I'm trying to do with my content company is just make sure that stuff that if we leverage generative AI, it's, it, it's to be a force multiplier, not just to uh, mm -hmm. churn out content, which I think my biggest concern right now with generative AI and, and with uh, respect to the internet is it's going to make the internet potentially a giant cesspool of just crap. <laughs> so yeah. um, if you're turning like, what's, I mean, what literally like, what is the point of like an SEO like, generated Gen AI, uh, you know, large language model article that you didn't review at all and you just pump it out like that. I don't know what purpose that serves a company um, to drive traffic because it's just like, so, I mean, that's, that's definitely something I, it's been top of mind for me is just like, what's the balance between sort of the, uh, the human aspects of stuff that we do, uh, right? Like you mentioned Taylor Swift earlier, like she's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure generative AI will play a role in her career, but she's still going to be Taylor Swift at the end of the day. Right. Well, as far as we know today, <laughs> um, but you know, and then for, for content creators and, and all that, um, and people for, who evangelize products too, and people mm -hmm. like in your position, right. I think Gen AI is definitely a, could be a force multiplier, but it needs to be used in a way that I think amplifies people you know, like our Kaplan, for example. Right. And, um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And I'm fascinated to hear about your company and, and it's one of those opportune times where yes, we are at a period where the potential to have a million emails every single day um, <laughs> is there, but it's not there yet. So Joe, if your company can do like mass emails and be one of the first, <clears throat> you can make uh, a lot of the money before it gets to the point. Like, and I'm not kidding. Like I think yeah. when you use AI to do custom emails and it doesn't cost any more, it could be a, 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 a like a cameo, you know, that, Mm -hmm. Pick a celebrity, pick a voice, or it could be a product totally geared to you, painting the image of like what a T-shirt with you know Joe's face and image on it could be, mm -hmm. and you do it a million times. Like there, we were, or, and then we have AI to do filters of that. Yep. It's just going to be a race for our attention and everywhere, oh, yeah. everywhere we do in life. And I don't know how civilization solves it, but if you do it right, Joe, you could be in that nice Goldilocks phase where you're not too soon and not too late you're just yeah late. yeah i think i feel like that's where we are right now with the generative ai it feels like it it's just, just getting started and i think um so it's definitely trying to i think balance like the things that ai can't do right versus the things that it can do really really well and, and trying to figure out the i think a tasteful balance with that so but you know it's it is um it's, it's a fascinating time to be alive i mean the example you gave of your, of your daughter doing her homework right uh, mm -hmm. i mean that that's insane i mean that <laughs> A couple of years ago, right? I mean, that, that wouldn't have really been a thing. We're just uh, poli sci uh, students using ChatGPT to write R code. Like that, Yeah. for a lot of reasons, doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but now it does. <laughs> so, And it was so easy. And, and like, uh, I, I teach, uh, you know, data science courses on, on, you know, on the side for many years. And like already somebody with just like, I think she's doing it for only like three weeks at the time was as good, if not better than someone like after really? a year. Dang. Uh, but, you know, a lot of it was, uh, you know, that was writing the code. You know, you still need the good foundation and probability statistics, like yeah. how you're grouping data together. And that was the point of the class was, um, you know, like here's survey data, what, what makes sense on it? What meaningful insights can you get? And R was just a means to the end of, you know, you still had to, uh, it was helpful to like screen scrape data. That was cool. You could co-pilot, you know, how can I download this data from this website? Okay, put it into a structured format. Okay, this field is a date field. Stuff like that, you had it, you had, before you'd have to take a course in how to do it. Yeah. And now chat, it, it was chat GPT would just figure it out. And now it's being embedded uh, in all sorts of platforms. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, for my purvey, purvey, I see what, Databricks is doing so from within notebooks, like you have these assistants 
uh, GitHub. If anyone out there is using that, there's Copilot. Copilot's and, dope. Yeah, and and it's, it's 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 incredible, and it is just getting started, and that automation will just keep getting better and better and better, mm-hmm. and then it'll be left with the humans or the project project and product managers, and then the rest are automated, and perhaps that's the that's the best way. Yeah. What do you think this does to automation? Before we started recording, you said you um, have always had a fascination with automation. Um, like, where, where do you think this goes? Yeah, ever since I was a little kid, I think seven years old was the first memory I have. I actually cool. wrote some program. First memory of like uh, programming. Uh, I ended up writing these text adventures um, and, and selling it when I was seven years old. But then I would automate it. So it would auto-generate like maps like that that you could explore so i would be bored if i were the human creating it and exploring it i already know how it looks so i would automate the creation of these fantasy worlds and then so that was the the genesis of uh you know fascination with automation but then every phase of the lot of my life and i think uh to some degree human nature is to automate to get things better whether it's in warfare or whether it's in building civilizations all right we've domesticated animals how can we do that to more scale and more efficiency so that like drives the economy and now with with technology like you were at big squid i was at data robot that was like some of the genesis of automating the uh, you know how do you have 20 different data science models and how can you automate trying different hyperparameters different mm-hmm. like levers to pull for the listeners who don't know what that is uh, and try thousands of combinations. And in the past, you'd have to have a human write code a thousand yep. times, but now it's all automated and then it runs it, it looks at the result, and then you can determine which model is the best fit. Um, so that's automation. That, that, that's where the fascination comes. Mm-hmm. And automation is just getting more and more uh, intelligent and aligned with like being able to be guidable so it's aligned with coders. It's aligned with data analysts who don't know how to code, like my daughter. And then it's aligned with uh, people one step out of data analysts. A chief marketing officer could just ask, you know, what are the ROI of all of our marketing campaigns? Mm-hmm. And it, you know, in that case, you probably want to guide into what ROI means. So you may need someone in conjunction with the CMO to define ROI. But basically that's what it comes down to is non-technical uh, people, even non-business analysts being able to find insights from their data. That is one other answer of what is data yeah. intelligence. Mm-hmm. I, I guess zooming out, right, with, with automation, like what do you think the company of, a fu- of the future looks like? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. It, um, I, I think adaptability is going to be better than what we're seeing now. So like supply chains, how do you produce products, send it around the world? How do you manufacture it just in time? That's happened like the last couple of decades, but it's going to be to a much, much more efficient level. Like there's so much waste, food waste around the world. Like you assemble parts in one continent, ship it to another, assemble it there, then ship it back, then put packaging on it, then ship it to another country, and then it gets created. So like, maybe like like just more efficient of how all of you human production lines work will be super helpful and then you'll also get hyper personalization so like marketing for example you have 10 segments 10 different emails 10 different ads that you put on different time of day on the television and it'll be hyper personalized so you joe will get something specific to you and I'll get something specific to me, and it'll be better. Like the companies will like it since they'll get a higher lift. They'll like get better brand loyalty, and you and I will like it since we'll get the the ads that just we want to see. And I'm already a sucker for that. I already watch TikTok and their ads and their products. Mm. I like just looking behind me. Pocket drum, like TikTok somehow figured out I like watching drumming videos and. It enables me to do drumming without. I see you have some synthesizers Wait, behind you without yeah. bothering my neighbors. Wait, what is pocket drum? 
I gotta Google this. It's, um, yeah. But you can just show me, I guess. Yeah, but you, I you know say, I, this is an audio only program, but it's like doing um like air guitar. You have air drums, <clears throat> but it is like MIDI enabled. That's like a music technology this? exchange. So this is like drumsticks that you can just play like this yeah. in the air, like air drumming. Exactly, or, and it has sensors of when you accelerate and decelerate. Oh, that's insane! And you don't even need to hit a surface. It's like hitting the air. It knows the deceleration of the stick. Uh, oh, that's pretty bad. And then it makes a, a beat that's and pedals from your feet. But yeah, that I'm, I'm like that's just one example. I, but I you, you're watching TikTok, cool. and they they then they like already obviously is a sucker for pocket drum. We'll right. This. Okay, and you bought one. So it, exactly, and that's then. Funny. Uh, I don't know if irony is the right word. My son's name is Avi Kaplan. And there's also a famous singer from Pentatonix, Avi Kaplan. So like they keep having me do merchandise for like this famous musician. And it's my son. And I do buy it, of course. <laughs> but yeah, that hyper-personalization uh, is, is going to only get better. So it's not just me that it resonates with. It'll be, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions mm -hmm. of people will know where the items that they want are um, and the items they don't want, they, you know, they won't be inundated since that wastes everyone's time. So yeah, the business of the future will be more efficient, more intelligent. Uh, uh, pe people will have better experiences with them. And, uh, you know, ho hopefully, you know, all in, you know, all for the betterment of humanity. Yeah. I guess, how do you think this changes the, the nature of the work uh, for people who work on data teams? Yeah, great question. And I know what I can think of only looking out a couple of years, and then all bets are off. So the uh, with the automation, my goal has always been to automate the boring and repetitive and time-consuming parts. Um, and the reason that is, is then I, I could focus on or I could get other people on my team to focus on like the more complex questions. The, uh, you know, you, you wrote that book on data modeling. Uh, you could see if it's a simple model. Well, I'm writing the book on data modeling, but yeah, okay. <laughs> it's still in progress. Yeah. In progress. <laughs> yeah. But you, you could see after a certain number of tables and columns, it gets so complex that you really, to, to scale out and either need a team of, dozens or hundreds of people or automate that. So you're going to have people that just do the, the basic level of data management probably mm -hmm. will be completely automated away. And then you'll at least three to four years from now, the, the people who will be employed will be like managers. Now you're mm -hmm. going to be managing right now. You manage some low level people with like one year experience and you you know, have check-ins and you, um, you know, push and pull data and, and, and you know, the, uh, have peer programming and all that, agile development. That, that first level is going to be bots. So you're still going to be, you're either going to be out of a job or you're going to have to promote yourself to product manager where you're managing not necessarily people, but bots and you're kind of guiding them, you know, what's working, what's not, you know, have a daily check-in with your bots and give them prompts on you know, more of this, less of that. But then, you know, three to four years, that role might be automated or at least majority of it automated. And then everyone would, all the humans will have to level up, um, which is why you know, like the, the best skills are pro project management, <clears throat> people who understand what the business is, like what are the business terms, uh, how does business act in the real world when you do supply chain? You know, what factors in the real world are affecting the digital world so you can make actual uh, impactful insights and, uh, you know, actions on those insights. Um, and, you know, so, so those are some of the job skills that I think mm -hmm. will be shifting. I know, do you, do you have any other thoughts on that subject? It's fascinating to me. I largely agree with that. I, I, I think that it's, the word agent is is often thrown around in AI circles. And I think there's some, maybe some debate on what that means or the feasibility of it. But I think that it'll be something like what you described where you'll be um, managing agents. I think another interesting thing I've been thinking about is the notion of if you're able to have 
agents, maybe that becomes your resume. And, and the more mm -hmm. fascinating thing with this, this thought process is, um, I think it might be possible for you to basically outsource yourself to multiple companies. Mm. And then, cause the notion of like working at one company, I think is a bit weird. Um, it's a bit like this forced monogamy that, yeah. uh, you know, um, the Bible didn't really tell you it was necessary, but we do it <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, and if you, if you kind of zoom out, I mean, what would, if, if you can leverage, you know, your, your field of agents and just, um, you know, I guess outsource that to multiple companies. I don't see any problem with that. I think it, so that, that becomes an interesting thought exercise. Like what is the role of a, of a, of an employee, um, in a world where, yeah. Uh, you know, if everything's run by intelligent agents, and I suppose, and you're managing them, then what does exclusivity mean at that time? Right. Great topic. And yeah, in the past, you'd have like fractional CFOs. Mm -hmm. Fractional meaning you work with a you know couple companies, and like you kind of pop in and out of existence from their perspective mm -hmm. up until the point that they need that full time. But yeah, like then you have problems with management consulting firms. They call it the bench. Where right. you're working for a couple months, then you're not working for a few weeks. That um, you know, it's kind of like fractional. But yeah, if you have a skill, um, like data modeling is is an interesting one since sometimes most of the work is to get the very first data model out there, mm -hmm. and then like the work kind of really slows down, and it's like incremental changes. So mm -hmm. that type of role might might be really good where you're. It, it may not make sense to work at one company well yeah i mean if you have the domain expertise i mean that's one thing and i think that's where, where you i think to your point earlier with the business acumen and having the um domain expertise like that's going to be more of an edge for people like it'll be necessary i don't, don't i mean already it, it's weird for data teams i feel like we sort of data teams sort of operate as if their data and the domain that they operate in are separate um it's, you know, sometimes i see this um mm -hmm. often i see this actually and it's really a false dichotomy um and so i think that you know if we're talking about intelligent bots and agents um, if you can apply that, um, you know, combine that with your domain expertise, um, you know, and leverage that with multiple companies like data modeling, for example, there are certain criteria that you're going to use for modeling, but at the end of the day, it's, um, there is some rinse and repeat, uh, there's some domain mm -hmm. expertise and it's a combination of the two and, and data management is another one where I think it's really interesting because I feel like for decades, people have been, I think, crying that and I use this in the nicest way possible, but crying that, oh, data management, nobody governs our data, data management. If we can mm -hmm. just only manage the data and get more value from our data. Um, it's the same tropes we've been crying about for decades. And and I and I think that because the scale of data is growing, um, sorry, I think you, are you froze? Oh, you're looking for a skin. Um, but the, the, um, the, the scale of data is, is growing at such a pace that I don't think that data management and governance is uh, able to keep up. I mean, it was barely able to keep up in, in an era when data was small and uh, less complicated. And I feel like these, um, and I wrote about this in a blog post of, I think last month, but I feel like uh, AI might be the, the um, you know, exactly what data management needs to, uh, to actually work um, because it, it's part of an organizational problem, but it's also, I think, just a, a complexity problem. Because um, you mentioned earlier an example of people having to go through 100,000 columns and, and name them and tag mm -hmm. them. And I'm like, that's essentially one of the, um, the grinded out issues that I, I think that we just sort of punt and don't get to because it's in the uh, too difficult bucket. But but now we can scale these problems or scale these solutions, these problems. So yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, hundred percent A plus to everything you said. And yeah, the the you know you know the topics, hundred thousand columns. It's such a hard problem or a boring problem <laughs> that if you could use AI to look at like what is the actual like once you fill it with data maybe then you can make an understanding of what that data is. Um, you can't do it in all cases, but you know, this looks like states in America. This looks like countries in Africa. This looks like weather um, in Celsius. Uh, then you can do auto tagging and then like the human just gives a thumbs up if it looks to be correct or thumbs down. Um, and, and then that way you can, yeah, yeah, all the data that's largely untapped is only going to get worse and worse when you bring in more and more data, more and more data types. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the unstructured, for example, just one video. Uh, I don't know. Curb your enthusiasm. I'm a big fan of that. Big favorite, example, favorite, favorite TV show. Yep. Yeah. One example is like, how long did this character talk versus that character? Mm -hmm. What's the plot of this episode? 
uh, let's do the transcript of the episode. You know, show me like what is the, the histogram of the most frequent words. Like those are all things that a human has to decide to extract before people could even search through that. So why don't you know? Why don't you automate the, you know those ideas across every video ever produced? Yep. Um, in, in sports, you know, we're we're using AI. Uh, you know, for example, Formula One to look at high definition of your car tires and your opponent car tires on the track, and then you can make a, a, a figure, this car on a scale of one to 10, how worn down is their tire, which will inform you your opponent may need to do a pit stop and change their tire, which means maybe I should pass them now. Um, mm -hmm. And in the past, you would have people taking random pictures along the track and humans just randomly to, uh, just looking and nine out of 10 times that look was pointless. Right. And yeah, so it's auto tagging uh, videos in the right way. And mm -hmm. as we get more and more data, more and more videos, more and more, you know, everything under your umbrella. Uh, and then you have data marketplaces and data clean rooms. So you're not just now looking at your data, you're looking at like other companies data that you're sharing with it gets to be such a complexity that you either need a unified data intelligent platform yep. or, you know, you do your business, but it's just, you're, you're missing out on, on most of your data. Oh yeah. Especially when you throw in that, um, you know, there's going to be a huge amount of synthetic data sets built, you know, whether they're tabular data sets or video images, whatever. Right. So, I mean, it's it, the, the amount of like AI generated content, for example, is just going to far <laughs> outweigh, the whatever precedes it so it's just it's gonna be a crazy feedback loop right where yeah it's already yeah it's going to be incredible crazy feedback loop and that's like a couple of years from now but you know already on tiktok or x slash twitter like a lot of the comments seem to be auto-generated but just human enough that you're not quite sure and so you could push like uh sentiment for your brand or your product or your political politics or religion or ideas and then people won't know what the truth is or, or won't care even yeah that's a, that's something that's been top of mind for me too is sort of like how do you discern what's true or not let me give you an example here this is a remember that uh that blog i was talking about yesterday um mm -hmm. so i'm gonna show you a ticker and this is uh it's this is the page count six blogs per page but just if you can see this look at how quickly it's updating i don't know if you can see that or not but it's, yeah wow those are pages being generated <laughs> So in a matter of like 10 seconds, it was like 500 pages were generated. Yeah. So that's 3,000 blog posts. Jeez. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> and most people don't know how to do it. Imagine when you have teams of people doing that, you know, tens of thousands of people, if not more, doing that. Like the whole world, like our information is just going to be, you won't know what truth is or, or not. Yeah. We did have General Petraeus uh, many years ago on, on, on my prior podcast. And that oh, was nice. even back then the deep fakes, like you enter yeah. a war and you don't know civilian casualty, military casualty. You can get it to look like a general says we surrender, put down your arms and you don't mm -hmm. know if it's real or not, unless they're physically in the room with you. Um, and if yeah. it is real and if they really are saying something that, and then you may not even believe it. So yeah, we're, um, we're not fully like over the edge yet, but we're uh, halfway into the, you know, the post-truth world. Yeah. That's uh, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's, you have kids, I have kids. It's something where I'm definitely thinking about how do you, um, maybe I'll get your take on this is kind of wrapping up, but how do you, you know, for the next generation, I mean, you and, you and I are old fogies at this point, but uh, <laughs> you know, for the uh, next generation, like what would you teach them um, to, to thrive in a world of, um, you know, AI automation? Yeah, I, I, good question. And, you know, I have kids that are just in college or entering college. And, like, they ask me, like, what courses, what skills should I have? So for programming, all bets are off. Like, for the next five or ten years, like, maybe, like, just any programming language, like Python's good since it's not really learning the syntax that's important, but it's learning, like, thought process and logic. So that that's the logical sense. I think project management, like, if you're – uh, management consulting or you're driving like a, a product 
whether it's like a real product or software, we want to say real, like a, a physical product or a software mm -hmm. product. I think product management um, is going to be important. Um, you know, my daughter in political science, I think there are always going to be like humans in, in the government, uh, you know, public sector, foreign affairs type of world. Uh, but yeah, but characteristic wise, to uh, and it's hard to teach, but like be free to fail, be free mm -hmm. to be intellectually curious, to be feel free to ask questions and communicate. So those are like kind of the characteristics uh, that that I encourage. And then the hard job skills, so hard to to figure out. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think if you learn a business, if you learn how to manage a group of people, how to be a leader, how to communicate. Those are the best uh, chances of having a job. So all the easy stuff. Now. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> for you it's easy. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. It's, it's it's I mean it's 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 um I hope this is something that schools teach more too. I feel like it's the uh, everything you just mentioned. It's exactly what I don't see my kids being taught at least. So you know it's like um, memorize a bunch of stuff still, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that I mean that it was automated a long time ago with uh, search engines. So. Um, you know, and it's, um, I think my favorite talk I gave in 2023 was, um, at my, uh, um, son's sixth grade class. I spent an hour talking about AI with them. Wow. And that was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and I gave a lot of talks this year. Right. But nice. they, um, the kids were just fascinated. Cause I think you, you walk in and you ask, okay, so what do, what do you think AI is? And like, well, it's going to take over everything. I'm like, well, that's not really an answer. That's not telling <laughs> me what it is. It's what you think it's going to do. But let's, let's look at, let's, let's push the boundaries of chat GPT today. So I just fired up ChatGPT on my phone and just passed it around. It's like, let's, let's start asking it questions, right? Let's see, um, let's see how far we can push this. And I think it helped demystify uh, a lot of the um, uh, ideas of what these kids had about AI. Cause I think they, they had this idea that it was maybe like the Terminator or something, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then they came to realize, okay, so there are, there are boundaries to it. You know, at least the current version I was using back then, uh, this is in June, early June of 2023. But, um, so I think that was really cool. You know, then I think yeah, then they had some good questions. Like, what do you do? I was like, I think you just most first and foremost, I think just focus on being happy. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the world doesn't need more miserable people. So just focus on like good. things you can control. Um, like that's, I think if it goes in any situation, but, uh, and it's also just, I, I think just figuring out again, to your point, like, how do you, how do you operate? Um, how do you understand a business? You know, how do you understand your business and, and all the soft skills you mentioned? It's, it's interesting because I think we've had this whole focus on STEM for a long time. And suddenly, well, a lot of that is potentially automated. Like you still need the critical thinking skills. That I think math provides you. And so you understand math, I think to your point with the probabilities and stats, like that's one of the table stakes skills, but like um, getting those solutions, it's a lot easier now than it used mm -hmm. to be. And so, but, but the things like you, you mentioned, all the hard stuff, really, as I was kind of jokingly calling it, as a communication leadership, um, you know, how to, uh, how to carry yourself. Like these are, these aren't taught right now, but I hope they are. So. Yeah. Good, great food for thought. Yeah, for sure. Teaching empathy, hard, hard to do. It's super hard, but there we are. So anyway, um, I guess closing out, you know, it, it's, uh, we're recording this uh, sort of the end of December of 2023 we're, we're getting into 2024 really soon what are you, what are you stoked on for next year pretty excited about well, uh well on my personal level like i i worked for oracle uh back when they were about five thousand people databricks is like super exciting like in all honesty i know i work there and everything but if you look at like our market cap and our growth i haven't been at a company on like this trajectory um like in my career so hope, you know, hope it, it's like my legacy, uh, you know, job. And it's, you know, we're now the third largest private company um, in, in America, the third largest private software company out there. Um, I love the, the fact that our founders were, you know, the open source. I hadn't realized how incredible that open source is. Mm -hmm. You're talking tens of millions of downloads per year of oh, yeah. some of the foundational Apache uh, Spark. Delta Lake, ML Flow. So I'm like super excited about, you know, the, the potential growth there and seeing like all these, you know, great customer experiences like expand more. I think, uh, you know, to our earlier points, you know, Gen AI, there's a lot of companies that are having success. 
but they're the my, vast minority now. Like yeah. the chatbots, LOMs, there, there are great companies that are uh, using it to help to more automatically determine what level of insurance should somebody get, what claim is valid or not. Super helpful. But that's still the minority of companies. So I think 2024, excited to see more companies actually move to production in Gen AI with some fascinating use cases. And then, yeah, I think everyone in technology is fascinated to see what are the next versions of Gen AI, mm. uh, like just out there in the open, things of like generating video, like outside of business, like in, in our own personal lives is going to be incredible. And then we'll be in the same place where the minority of companies will be doing that Gen AI for video and audio, but those who have those use cases are going to be the pioneers. So 2024, I'm just like fascinated. Yeah. We're, how is Gen AI, like we're in a world now where we wake up to surprises. It's not like we know, we knew ChatGPT was coming. We didn't know that. And then we wake up and there's like some fascinating video creation. We didn't mm -hmm. know that, it just sprung on us. So I'm looking to be happily surprised, uh, number one, and then just see like the growth of Databricks and being part of that team cool. to help make it happen. Uh, how about yourself? What are you excited about next year? Um, I think a lot of things, I, I'm definitely uh, soaked on where AI is going. I think there's just some really fascinating things coming about. Um, I mean, I got two things I'm working on right now, which is one for a course for, uh, with deep learning AI. Um, and then, uh, uh, which I'm really stoked about. Um, and then this book I'm writing. So I think both those, I hope for hopefully be out. Um, yeah, I can't put timelines in the course, but the book, I hope middle of the year or not sooner, but and starting a new company, like I said, um, yeah. you know, it's, uh, going to be an out soon, but it's, I, I feel like it's the, the education space and tech and data, I think needs, um, a bit of a shakeup. And so. That includes publishing that includes you know courses and just how, how do you teach the next generation of data professionals in a way that i think is um is flexible and adaptable to today because as you point out things change at light speed um and the tools and techniques that we're, we're using are changing really quickly too uh but at the same time i think one of the biggest gaps that i see in the industry is skills and knowledge right i, I don't think there's any shortage of great tools out there at this point i think there's an abundance of awesome tools and technologies but why is it that we still keep making a lot of the same mistakes as we have for the past several years? You know, and it's like, I can only think that, you know, through my observations and working with um, companies is it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a knowledge and skills gap. Like we, we aren't able to, I think really function at the potential that our tools are capable of providing us. And so that's a big mission of mine is to hope, you know, hopefully close that gap and you know, hopefully um you know, help push the industry along in that direction. Cause I feel like, you know, stuff that Databricks provides, for example, is, is freaking amazing, right? Um, and it, it's about leveling up the engineers to really take advantage of all these capabilities and the possibilities of it, you know, and, and operate, you know, in, in a world where you know, we could have, you know, the unified data and, and all this other stuff, right? And I think it's just exposing people to these possibilities and, and helping them get there is, is, you know, the mission that I have. So I'm pretty excited about that. So incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Hey, can't yeah. wait to see what happens in yeah, thank you. 24. Thank you very much. Should be a good year. Um, well, anyway, man, it was great chatting with you. Uh, I hope you have a, a great holiday uh, and uh, Christmas and New Year. So. You too. Yeah. Awesome.